everybody, and welcome to the That's Life, the show where after following Charlie's amazing show on stress, how can we open with any other song? A shout out to Charlie Harari just leaving the studio. He's really one of the only people I know on the planet who can talk about stress in a calm manner. <laughs> yeah, by the way, Charlie, following you every week, I mean this wholeheartedly is completely stressful. <laughs> it's not distressing. By the way, my can's a little bit louder, Abram, if you can. It's totally not distressing, but it is stressful. We um, we got to put the phone on because we're getting calls. I'm just telling you. All right, I'm just telling you. All right, all right, all right. Anyway, let's focus around here. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, and general manager here at the Nahum Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 10 a.m., right after Charlie and right before Nahum's live lunch, as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. Coming to you from the home of the Nahum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side, I am joined by my handy-dandy partner, Avrami. What's up, Avram? How are you? I thank God I'm well. How was the cold treating you? Thank God all is well. Actually, it wasn't so bad this morning at all, I have to say. Also, I have a ton of layers on because when you travel a lot, you got to do that. Lots of layers. So. Yeah, but what did you do for the last couple of days? I mean, it's been cold, folks. Uh, stayed inside a lot. <laughs> did your kids have school? Um, yeah, they didn't have school last week, I think, because of the snow or whatever, or on the, the Friday. Friday, everybody had off. Um, but, uh, basically beyond that, uh, everything was fine. Yeah, the, the cold really didn't, uh, I guess it wasn't that bad, you didn't know. Didn't impact on things? No, not as far as I know. Oh. Thank God. All right, well, if you didn't notice, I guess it didn't happen. By the way, There's you'll notice. Feedback. It's you terrible. Feed- feedback? Yeah, it sounds like bells. Yeah. You hear it? Um, by the way, for those people who are wondering, yeah, we gotta stop that. For those people, Nope. See? Even worse. Is it that mic? Hold on one second. I'll see. I'll shut down my mic. Okay. For those people... There we go. For those people who are wondering, it is warm here in the studio. That's how you know how cold it is, because ZK let us put on the heat for the last three days. So uh, it's perfect. Anyway, if you are a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. If you are a returning listener, thanks, as always, for making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do... What the sports rabbi Josh, Hall- Josh Hallickman does, you can friend me on Facebook, send me an invite on LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, miriam at nachamsegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show, not being rude, just being honest, but I will get back to you afterwards. Please also follow us on Twitter, nachamsegelnet, all one word, and Miriam L. Wallach, also all one word. My shout-out, by the way, to Josh. Um, he had some great tweets this morning, and Nachum gave him a shout-out on JM and the AM as well. He's 100% right. There is so much going on. Um, there's so much going on in the world of sports, so much going on both in Israel having to do with sports, but also internationally with Jews and sports. We're going to cover some of that. <laughs> We're going to cover some of that pretty soon because um, I do have Rabbi Steve Berg from the Simon Wiesenthal Center on the line. I don't want to keep him waiting, but come on, Rabbi Berg. We have to see what the fortune cookie says today because we do that every week. Oops. One second. If this, by the way, if this fortune cookie has anything to do with stress, then Charlie Harari is more popular and powerful than we already imagined. Oh, well, uh, you know, it just might be. It is better to deal with problems before they arise. This gets an official shkayach. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Confucius did not know what he was doing when he wrote that one. Anyway, today is National Lose Weight and Feel Great Week. Yes, it is. And by the way, for that reason, we will be playing a cut from the Jaywalking album at the end of the show. That was brought to you by Neshama. We have, that'll be track five, by the way, of Rum, and we're ready for that. It's also International 3D Week. Elvis's birthday celebration week started yesterday. I am not celebrating that at all, but for those of you who are Elvis lovers, okay then. 
It is Universal Letter Writing Week for those people who still write letters. And here's my favorite part of the day. It is National Static Electricity Day of Rum. I think we're going to have to go out and get a pack of balloons, rub it on my shades, and see where we can stick it. What do you think? A friend of mine actually was just saying how his apartment is completely full of static and he can't. He said he actually got such a big shock yesterday. It really, it hurt him. No way. So he must be celebrating. No way. Yeah. He's been celebrating for days, it seems. <laughs> it seems for days. Anyway, we have Rabbi Berg on the phone. I do not want to keep him waiting. We are huge Rabbi Berg fans. Rabbi Steve Berg is the, is the North, what am I getting it right? The Eastern Director? Perfect. Thank you. The Eastern Director of the Simon Wiesenthal Center and Museum of Tolerance, a returning guest and friend here of That's Life and the Nachum Siegel Network, and of course, J.M. in the A.M. Good morning, Rabbi Berg. Hi, Miriam. How are you? Good. Rabbi Berg, I also want you to know it's National Stalker Month, so if you think that has anything to do with every time I tag you in a tweet, (laughs) (laughs) it's just coincidental. I want to get that out there. But you and I have so much to talk about, and your Twitter feed, for those people who don't follow Rabbi Berg, you should. It's at Stephen Berg with a V. Um, for those people who haven't been following Rabbi Berg, there is an inordinate amount of what I would say are blatantly anti-Semitic gestures and comments that have been taking place in arenas, and I use that both literally and figuratively, that one might not have expected. And there seems to be, as I said on JM and the AM this morning, a rash of events. Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think there have always been anti-Semitic events around. I think the fact that today, through the Internet and everything going on, we know globally um, three seconds after something happens. So I think it's we're more aware, but, but certainly there's a lot of stuff going on out there. It is, it's, it's almost obscene. And if I, uh, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that I'm sure that over the last, you know, I don't know, since we've existed, there have been anti-Semitic um, incidents taking place, but because of the advent of Twitter, and we live on a very, very immediate news cycle where we're no longer waiting for the newspaper to be delivered on our front doorstep, but yet I'm getting my news from Twitter, so it happens within seconds, um, that we are a very small world, and as a result, nobody's behaviors go unnoticed or go untouched or go uncommented. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Look, I was at the State of the State yesterday uh, with Governor Cuomo, and uh, at the end of his speech, he highlighted the Pine Bush incident in that school district. So talk, you know, we could, we could talk about Hungary, we could talk about Greece, we could talk about things around the world, but even here in New York, there are challenges. Let's talk about that incident for a minute, because for some reason or another, that didn't get a lot of press. Um, you know, it, it was fascinating because uh, the New York Times article came out a year after the lawsuit was filed by the parents about their complaints. Just explain to our listeners what happened. Uh, sure. There was there was a group of Jewish kids in the school that basically uh, complained. One girl complained that a swastika was drawn on her face. One Jewish boy um, said he was beaten with a hockey stick. Uh, there were swastikas painted around. There were shouts of white power going on, um, and and the kids had complained over and over again to the uh, to the, the the folks at the school district and the parents had complained. Um, and there was one quote uh, from from one of the school officials that said, "You know, your expectations for changing inbred prejudice may be a bit unrealistic." That was like his answer to uh, to the, these issues of anti-Semitism, and uh, you know, the second that, that New York Times article came out, which was great, we contacted Governor Cuomo's office as fellow David Lobel there, his Jewish liaison, who's also a great guy, and the, and the governor's been absolutely fantastic uh, about it. He jumped on it right away, 
And uh, yesterday, at the end of his State of the State, he proposed making a law that um, if there are any anybody in the school system, if there are complaints of any kind of religious persecution or, or racial issues, um, and they don't notify law enforcement, then then those people should be fired immediately. Wow! Uh, and that's because that you have to, if you don't tell law enforcement, you know, it's they can't do their job, and that's that's really I think where, where somehow the ball was dropping this whole thing. So how is it possible that this story didn't? skyrocket did it make it all over the twitter feeds uh, about a year ago uh, you know it just uh, it was one of those things it was it was a lawsuit was filed and i think having spoken to a lot of the folks up there they really tried to do things in a much more quiet way um you know obviously they they, they filed a lawsuit but then you know they tried to still work with the school district and i think it just got to the point where they saw absolutely nothing was happening and it's at that point you go to the press. You know, the truth is, in our business, we don't automatically, people think we automatically pick up the phone and start screaming and yelling to the press and the whole world. We don't do that. A lot of times you try and figure out exactly what's going on or the ways to correct this in, in, a, in a, a decent way uh, to move forward. Uh, and then when, when you see that the people obviously just don't care or, or nothing's going to change it, that's when you start to raise the alarm. Justice doesn't always happen in the courts, and it definitely doesn't always happen in the press. That is for sure. But to be able to use the press in a positive manner to get that message out, I mean, to me, I don't want to say this is a lost opportunity because that means it sounds like there's some kind of opportunity that needs to be gained. But every instance, as something you taught me a number of interviews ago, every instance is worth mentioning because none of them are tolerable. Sure, absolutely, you know. And it's it's just tough. Anytime you're in a bureaucratic system, and you want things to happen. It's just it's tough to get. I'll give a perfect example. You know, we we hunt Nazis, which uh, that work will be over probably the next ten fifteen years. But you know, when you find them, people always ask, "Well, what do you do?" Well, you know, you don't always have the Mossad flying down to Buenos Aires to <laughs> kidnap Adolf Eichmann. Right. You know, you go to the local government, and then there there's just this incredible bureaucracy to try and get things moving. Um, and you know, it's just it's just very very tough. As most recently as that 88 year old man that yeah. that was um, that will hopefully be standing trial for atrocities that took place. He was a Nazi officer, correct? Correct. Yeah, and we hope so. But you know, the truth is, at that age, and the court systems take so long, and you know, chances are he'll probably die, um, you know, un- under suspicion, under under. Uh, under arrest, but the truth of the matter is for us, that's also a win, meaning, you know, my outlook has always been that I don't want anyone that ever touched the hair on a Jew's head to die in peace. Rabbi Steve Berg, Eastern Director of the Simon Wiesenthal Center and Museum of Tolerance in New York City, is on the phone with us right now. You know what's also interesting, by the way, is that when we talk about sports, and there have been numerous, numerous anti-Semitic um, incidents, is the only word I can come up with, lately that are happening both at soccer matches and with soccer players, and with tweets after games, and with uniforms. I mean, what's going on? You know, if, if you go, the Sun Wiesenthal Center every year puts out our top ten anti-Semitic, anti-Israel slurs. We put it out every year at the right. end of, de- of December. We just put it out about a week ago. Pine Bush was on there, as, as I mentioned. Number ten on that list is uh, European sports venues, mm. uh, because there were just there were just too many. You can limit uh, it down to one. It's going on all over the place, and uh, especially you know with the that salute, the uh, Cornell salute, which is kind of like the the secret. You know, you can't really do a Nazi salute up, so they kind of do it down. Right. Um, And we actually highlighted the fact that uh, Tony Parker, who's a player Mm -hmm. in NBA, was photographed making that salute. You know. And uh, he claims he, you know, he didn't know what it was. And uh, but it's a huge, huge problem. The sports venues are places for a lot of uh, anti-Semitic people, and and just people filled with hate. It's not only the Jews; um, they hate immigrants, they hate all kinds of people. It's it's a place for them to get together and uh, 
talk about it and just just hate people. And real, recently, I just saw this article that that uh, Chris Smalling from Manchester United apologized because evidently. For some ungodly reason, I still cannot figure out, nor can I imagine anybody on his team can figure out. He showed up at a costume party as a suicide bomber. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, you know people. The suicide bombers really started in Israel, and we were screaming, yelling about them, and everyone you know everyone ignored it because it was Israel. And now there's suicide bombers all over the world. Suicide bombers have killed more Muslims than Jews at this point in right. Iraq and Afghanistan and everywhere else. Uh, it's just absolutely sick, you know. Uh, Fox. Which you're very familiar with uh, Fox News, but you know there was a while they were calling them homicide bombers, which right. I think is a much better term. Mm, yes, absolutely. And but especially with the um, Olympics coming up in the next couple of weeks and those suicide bombs that took place um, in in advance of that, that recently took place, killing numerous people um, in protest of the Olympics. I mean, there is no place that is safe. It is not like terrorism. And uh, we'd like to think, because it makes us sleep better at night, that t- terrorism is a local issue. It is not a local issue. It is a global issue. It's absolutely a global issue, and it's just uh, just just getting worse every day. Uh, you know, connected to that, we were talking about the, the sports players. You know, we also we highlighted number six on our list, um, Hitler is a hero, which there have been many instances in the last year or two of people, you know, being interviewed and speaking and talking about how great Hitler was, uh, almost as if, like, enough time has gone by like, I know what he did about genocide, but look, look at his leadership qualities. And that's something that scares the heck out of us. I imagine, because Hitler has no silver lining. Correct. Right. There's, no, there's nothing good to be learned here from that man's actions. Yeah. There is nothing. He is never to be a role model. It's crazy. I mean, then you look at Dennis Rodman. And I loved, by the way, the fact that we're even talking about Dennis Rodman and that you've been tweeting things about Dennis Rodman, because you have somebody who is using, you have people who have used their fame um, and their uh, their power, their star power, so to speak, for causes that are good. And then you have this complete lunatic who continues to be a complete lunatic, and we're having basketball games. Yeah, people don't realize in North Korea, you know, they have camps there. They have internment right. camps, and they, they've been known to gas people. So talk about you know, lessons of the Holocaust. You know, and that's why last week we had a press conference here in the Museum of Tolerance, uh, Simon Wiesenthal Center's museum here in, in, on 42nd Street, and we had uh, Congressman Elliot Engel who came down, and we had some of the North Koreans that had been tortured by that regime that came also basically pleading, you know, don't have this, this basketball game and don't, don't you know, condone everything they're doing. And Elliot Engel had a great quote. It was in the New York Times where he said, you know, he said it's pretty much like being invited to go to lunch with Hitler. I wouldn't do that either. Right. And John McCain also had a fantastic quote about um, Dennis Rodman that I don't remember off the top of my head, but he was nice and fired up, and for good reason. For very good reason. These people are, are sick tyrants, and you know, people talk to me also. You know, we talk about the Holocaust. We're very focused because we're Jews, and I always point out to people that in the mid, the mid nineties, you know, eight hundred thousand people were butchered in three months in Rwanda. Meaning, you know, there's genocide around the world, and there, there's these tyrants, and we have to keep, as Jews especially, we have to keep the pressure on them. We have to keep speaking out. Now let's talk about this anti-Semitic comedian whose last name I can't pronounce properly. It is French. Um, Dudon? Am I? I mean, I'm sure that there are. Yeah, Dudon. Okay, Dudon. He has already been convicted seven times, seven times for inciting racial hatred against the Jews, and he is now potentially facing an eighth trial. And a number of his shows have recently been canceled. But I'd like to back up a second. What in the world is anyone doing booking him in the first place? And why isn't he locked away? Anybody who has already been convicted seven times for inciting hatred against Jews or anyone else should not be performing on stage. 
that's true. But you know, it's, Europe's an interesting place, very different than than the United States. If he was performing in the United States, I'm not sure he would have been convicted even once because of freedom of speech. In Europe, it's very, very, very different. Um, so, you know, although he's gone through all these trials, you know, to, to a lot of Europeans who harbor anti-Semitic feelings or other things, you know, here's a guy who's saying it like it is. You know, there was a, there was a point in, in, in history in TV, you know, Archie Bunker was, you know, that type of racist <laughs> right. guy that everyone would be like, well, you know, he's, he's saying it like it is, type, but he's still lovable, you know. And, and I think people are viewing him like that. Like a lot of people kind of sympathize with, with the things that he's saying, and that, that, that just scares more than anything. You know, it's, it's one thing for the people that speak out and they're very public about their anti-Semitism, but there are a whole lot of people that when the door closes, you know, say, well, yeah, I don't really like those people too much either. Well, listen, people talk at their Friday night Shabbos tables also, but they're also not selling tickets to listen to that entire stand-up on stage. There has to be a point where even members of the European community stop and say, okay, th- this is enough already. People like this need to be shut down. Well, yeah, and, and the Europeans have, have, do have those laws in place. You know, for example, they have in Germany very strict laws, and, and one of the reasons that they have this quinell, this you know, opposite uh, you know, Hitler salute, is because if you were to you know raise your hand up, then you you can be arrested for that in in places like Europe. And you know, they try and clamp down, but the flip side is it's it's uh, you know it's a very open society, and, and they try and balance also the free speech laws. Look, it, 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 we feel that this guy should be you know in bars forever, and this guy's just horrible. Running around inciting, but in general, you know, I think he'll he'll just keep causing a stir, causing a stir. The um the, the next question I want to ask you, by the way, I mean, we have to talk about this um this soccer club in Chile, the Palestino, yeah, with with these jerseys, yep, they yep. Ha- that have that represent um that that clearly make a statement and not in not recognizing Israel in the fact that they seem to represent that the that the entire area what we what we obviously know and love as Israel really belongs to the Palestinians and there have been calls for them to publicly apologize to get rid of these jerseys but again even beyond that we ta- we have to take a step back why why are people thinking that even producing that jersey is okay when did sports when did a soccer field or arena, not a Buffy, um, a Bucky, I don't know, you know, which one is the right term, but when did that become an appropriate place to sit here and make political statements? Why isn't it about the game anymore? Well, look, I think, I think sports throughout the ages, people have always tried to politicize it. I mean, you, you go back to the Olympics in Berlin, you know, when Jesse Owens, thank God, embarrassed Adolf Hitler. Uh, but, but the whole point of that was to showcase uh, Germany. Um, you, you take the, the the current Olympics, you know, with the, the issues of in Russia in terms of the LGBT community. Um, there are always that essence of the politics. What concerns me more, and in our South American um, branches, some we those have spoken out about it. What concerns me more is I find many people today saying, "Look, I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm just anti-Zionist." Um, and and our, we push back tremendously. You know, honorless was also the BDS movement, the, the boycott, divestment, sanction. You know, that's trying to basically strangle Israel, um, and and that's that's a real, real danger for us. And you know, we we always call people out when they, when you see these these cartoons with uh, been, you know Prime Minister Netanyahu, like you know, with a bloody Palestinian baby in his hand or something. Um, right. they, they, uh, we find that the anti-Semites try to hide very much behind being anti-Zionist. Hmm. 
And uh, that's the real that's the real issue that we have to consistently and, and continually call people out on. All right, Steve Berg is the Eastern Director of the Simon Wiesenthal Center and Museum of Tolerance in New York City. He joins us on the phone right now. The um the, the next thing uh, we, we we you and I have talked about this, by the way, is the knockout game that um was instilled a tremendous amount of fear in um, many New Yorkers and across the country as we found out that this was not just a number of isolated incidents that are happening in New York and in Brooklyn, but really something that had been going on nationally. When Nachum and I were overseas, when we were in Israel last month, and we were able to talk to a focus group um, of Israeli women entrepreneurs, none of them had heard about this game. And Nachum and I looked at each other and looked at them and said, are you, are you serious? You, you don't know anything about this? And they hadn't heard about it. And I found that both shocking and, and scary all at the same time, that we were experiencing these incidents of anti-Semitism and hatred and racism and danger, imminent physical danger, but they didn't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point you're making. I think that one of the things that happened with the knockout game, and this is really to the credit of, of living in a place like America, uh, the NYPD and the local officials took it very, very seriously. Right. Um, and they were really on the case right away and really, you know, tracked people down. And, you know, we're so, we don't even realize how lucky we are with the NYPD and the, and the local you know, law enforcement agencies that we deal with, you know, that they take this so seriously. Or, in fact, like I said, Governor Cuomo getting up yesterday and saying any, you know, any school where any child feels that they're being persecuted, you know, and if that person doesn't go to law enforcement, they're fired. You know, that's an, that's an unbelievable statement. Right. And so I think that, that with the knockout game, like with some of these things, if they go on and on, then they catch a lot of more international headlines. But I think this was dealt with, you know, pretty quickly, um, and a lot of people really, really jumped on it. And I think this or that what may have tempered, you know, it. but we have to tell people. People need to know. You know, people, we think that we live such, you know, great lives and there are no problems and stuff like that, but the, these things can easily build quickly. Rabbi Berg, I, I don't know if you're as excited as I am that the press release came out this morning that JT – that Justin Timberlake seems to be announcing a concert in Israel. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I know I'm looking for tickets already because it's probably the only way I'm actually ever going to be able to see him in concert because Lord knows I can't get tickets over here. Right. But, but somebody commented on Facebook that it has now become a, um, a political coup every time somebody, a major talent, announces that they are going to be playing in Israel, as if... It, it, every single time somebody books a stage in Tel Aviv or Nokia or whatever, that it is a political statement. So between word coming out that the Rolling Stones are negotiating a show in Israel and now this press release this coming Sunday morning about JT, are, they, are we making a bigger deal of it than it really is, or is it that big of a deal? No, I think it's a very big deal. I think that uh, Mayor Nir Barkat and Yushalayim has done a real good job of of bringing people in. And, you know, i could just give you a prime example. You know, we're building um, a museum. Um, in, in Yerushalayim right now, the Museum of Tolerance Jerusalem, uh, the Simon Wiesenthal Center. And one of the things that we're planning on doing there is, is creating a site for international human rights conferences because we want people coming to Israel to discuss human rights and understanding that, we have, that Israel has an important opinion. I think that um, culturally it's really important that we engage the world on all kinds of different fronts um, so that basically when the people out there are screaming and saying terrible things about us, people you know, say, what do you mean? What are you talking about? They, you know, this guy was Justin Timberlake was just there. That guy was there. It's, you know, it's a great place. And, you know, and these guys go out and they tell people, oh, yeah, I was in Israel. It was fantastic. I think it's important for the country.
Uh, and it's funny because I'm happy that you, who are, you know, more level-headed and mature than I am, um, also believe that it's a big deal because it, in, in my opinion, it is as well. It is exciting. And, um, I don't want to say that it puts us on the map because obviously we are on the map and we hold our place very, very strongly. But also it combats all those people who decide that in order to make a political statement, they need to book shows and then cancel them because that's a better move because that's a way to get their message out. Yeah, and look, the bottom line is you need friends in the world. You know, Israel is, is an incredible country. It's vibrant. It's stable. It has a great economy, a very strong uh, army. But the bottom line is you you need friends. And, and it, you can't, like, live, you know, you have to trade with other countries. You have to interact with other people around the world. That's that's kind of part of being a light unto the nations. And, and people need to view you, and, and, you know, and say, well, that, that's, that's a great place. I, you know, I, really, you think there's issues there? I had friends who went there, and they had a fantastic time, and the people were lovely. And, and that's how you, you grow support out there. You know, when, when we've had anti-Semitic incidents, it's so important that we reach out to some of our non-Jewish brethren, you know, some people in the African-American community, Hispanic community, other communities. And, you know, the JCRC does a great job. The right. job by Michael Miller is fantastic. You know, I was, yesterday when I was in Albany, every, every time I meet someone, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know Mike Miller from the JCRC. <laughs> you know, and so when we have an issue, it's not just about us. We can call on our friends, and that makes us much stronger. That is that is a very good point. I guess you can say we get by with little help from our friends, correct? <laughs> I knew you would sum it up so much more articulately <laughs> and cutely than I well, could. Well, it's okay. not my line. It's not my <laughs> line. Um, by the way, that's the way I feel every time I use Waze. We get by with a little help from our friends because you ever you ever use Waze? Uh, well, I, yes. Who, yeah. who doesn't use Waze? Exactly. How can you get anywhere with that Waze? I when I walk down the block, I use Waze. That well, that's smart, especially if you're walking down the block in Lower <laughs> Manhattan where people are constantly talking to themselves. But we can talk about that another day. Unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about the ASA boycott, and we don't get to talk about Kathy Ireland because that must have been cool. Oh, she's uh, she's fantastic. I was she was at our museum last week. I want you to know she spent five and a half hours at our museum. She is. Absolutely fantastic and incredible friend of Israel. Yeah, well, I, I couldn't believe it. When I saw that picture, I was like, well, Kathy Ireland, somehow or another, I didn't show up to the uh, Museum of Tolerance that day by accident. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you the schedule next yeah, time. Yeah, next time let's, um, oh my gosh, I didn't know you were here also. That would be a funny moment. Right. Anyway, Rabbi Steve Berg, as always, a pleasure to have you on. Um, people can reach Rabbi Berg at sberg at wiesenthal.com. And definitely check out everything that they have at the Museum of Tolerance. And it is definitely a wonderful place to bring your school, your community, your children. Everyone can use a little bit more education on tolerance. Rabbi Berg, thanks as always. Thank you so much. You're listening to That's Live here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And as promised, from Chicago, I hope he's got his mittens still on, Edon Pinchot, singing Phenomenon, is on the air with us right now. Good morning, Edon. Good morning. How are you? I am well. So what would you do on your couple of days off this week? Um, yeah, it's been pretty crazy here. <laughs> um, we went back to school yesterday after two weeks of winter break and then two, I don't even want to call them snow days because they were more like freeze days, you right. know? Right, right. Um, but yeah, really just, you're kind of trapped in your house because it's really, really unbearable when it's negative 45 degrees outside. There's, um, yeah, negative 45 degrees, by the way is an insane number to even think about, let's say out loud. I don't even know what that means. I know. It was crazy. It really, really was. I mean, we sent our kids to school 
um, two days ago, and they were wearing multiple layers, and one of my sons is screaming, I can't bend my arms. I can't bend my arms. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. You don't need to bend your arms. It's overrated. You know, you'll figure it out. But um, it was so cold in New York. Kava Homer, what was going on in Chicago? I mean, we didn't cancel school. Nobody had ice, yeah. nobody had freeze days for us, but I can only imagine what you were going through. But you have to be looking forward to coming to Florida. For sure. And, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, the concert should be a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm not just saying that because of the horrendous weather here. Right. But, um, no, I'm really excited. And it's going to be, you know, January 18th at the Revolution Live. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a Saturday night. And I'm just really excited also because I've never done a show really in Florida yet, that's going to be, you know, something that I can really call my own. Um, so that should be new, and it should be a lot of fun, actually. I'm looking forward. Right. The concert is hosted at Revolu- Revolution Live in Fort Lauderdale on the 18th. It is the first Matze Shabbos of Yeshiva Week break, as we refer to it around here. If you are yeah. going to be in the Florida area, and <laughs> what are the chances that people will be in Florida? I would say pretty good. You definitely <laughs> should look to borrow your tickets. Um, tickets are available at the door, by the way, for $30. It's 8 p.m. doors, 8.30 show. All ages are welcome. Um, I presume that people can get information off your Facebook page, right? Uh, yeah, so tickets are also available at edonmusic.com. Okay, edonmusic.com. By the way, I want to hear about the Hard Rock uh, Cafe show. Yeah, for sure. So um, on that, December 15th, once we'll talk about, we'll go back to the concert in a second, but I want to, I, I got to hear about the Hard Rock Cafe because... It has to be a dream as a musician to play any venue located within the Hard Rock Cafe. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was really, really different from anything I had done because, you know, the Hard Rock Cafe is, like, also, you know, it's kind of like a cafe and it's kind of, um, it has, like, this kind of stage. So it's for sure really different. But it was also, I mean, it was something so cool for me because that was the first time that I had done a show that, you know, I wasn't being... I wasn't being hired by someone else to do my show. This was something that was completely, like, genuinely mine. And it was also interesting because it was the first show that I actually had an original song to be able to play. And it was also really cool to see, you know, people in the audience singing along with something that I had written as opposed to something that they're constantly hearing on the radio from somebody else that I'm just covering. So that was for sure, I mean, up, at this, up to this point, you know, in my career, that was for sure one of the coolest things that, you know, I've experienced. How was the audience response to your song? Um, it was amazing. Um, it was for sure, I mean, this Hard Rock Cafe was a much, you know, smaller, intimate uh, kind of concert. Where it was more about the music as opposed to, you know, about, like, the screaming fans, which was also really cool, a different aspect that I'm not necessarily so used to. Um, I guess we'll see what, what Florida comes to. Um, but, yeah, it was it was really, really fun. It was I really enjoyed it. Nachum and I were joking this morning on JM in the AM how when you and I sat next to each other at the Celebrate Israel Parade just a, half yeah. a, just a half a year ago, if, um, yeah. if, I could, if I could liken it to the Beatles coming to America, the, the reaction that we got, you don't have to talk about this, I can do it because I'm sure you're either blushing or completely uncomfortable, but the reaction <laughs> we got from the girls' high schools as I announced your name over the mic and they turned to the left and saw you standing next to me was no doubt one of the most eye-opening experiences of my professional life here behind the mic. And I'm not saying that to be funny, but it really was that sensation moment. They couldn't believe it was you. You are a real person. <laughs> and it was, oh, my God, there's Edon. Yeah. 
it's, yeah, it's still so weird for me, especially because, I mean, really the bulk of that, you know, that kind of screaming fan base uh, does lie in New York. And so, you know, when I'm home, literally, like, my life is completely normal. I go to school every day. No one's, like, stopping me in the halls and, like, saying things to me like that. You know, but then you come to New York, and it's crazy because certain areas, you know, I can't even, like, walk down the street right. without having people, like, asking for pictures, asking for autographs, and so that really is something that's so new to me and still, like, I don't, I don't, I really don't know if I'm ever going to get used to that. Well, um, there was, that I really do love. Well, that same weekend, there was an Edon sighting on Central Avenue in Cedarhurst that we all heard about via Facebook. And, yeah. and I remember talking to you about it. And the truth of the matter is that you're, you know, which is, which is great, is that your grounded response is no different six months later. Now, truth be told, yeah, you're, it, it's nice that you are not, um, that nobody gives you either a hard time or whatever else, and you're just another kid in Chicago. But yeah, New York is a totally different town. We're really, yeah. we're really high octane, as you have imagined and you've seen and whatever else. Um, but we're also excited to see you because yeah, we don't go to school with you, and you are such uh, a unique opportunity, a unique experience, such an anomaly to what we're used to. That yeah, you come to town, we're all gonna we're all gonna go crazy. It's it's a natural kind of a thing. Right. Um, yeah. It's been it's been absolutely insane. Are you are you um, do you enjoy playing the large venues as much as the small venues, or they're just totally different experiences? It really is so different. Um, see, the thing about the small venues is what you normally end up getting is you know this this more compact group, you know, this more, like, compact audience who are kind of just there, you know, as opposed to when you have 200 screaming girls, you know, if you only have, like, 20, 30, then it kind of ends up being this, this you know, group of, this, this audience that's kind of there and they're all kind of just listening to what you have to say and to the music as opposed to these, these bigger venues where you get these, you know, these massive crowds and then you have more of, like, the screaming and the yelling. And, you know, although it might not be as much of them kind of listening to, to the actual music musical aspects, um, it's something so different. And it's so, I don't know, it's so fun both ways, it really is. So your concert, January 18th in Fort Lauderdale at Revolution Live. For those people who are looking to get tickets, you can go to eatonmusic.com. That is a semi, That is a large space? That is a smaller space? How big is that? Um, I think it's pretty big. I actually don't know how many it holds, um, but hopefully, you know, people will start to get their tickets, and it'd be really awesome if we were able to sell it out. Um, I don't know. I'm really looking forward. It should be a lot of fun. How long are you... Also, st- oh, I'm sorry. Go also, on. It's fine. <laughs> um, also, just as a little incentive, um, it looks like I might be debuting two original singles, other than Eight Days, obviously, that have not been released yet at the Florida concert. So it should be really cool. It should be a lot of fun. Um, so everyone should try to come down. Wow. Do I get Do I get a, a – that's a great tip, by the way. That's a little bit of a teaser, but that's more of a big teaser. What? A, tell, yeah. tell me what these singles are looking like. Um, yeah, so I've been working on my original music a ton lately, just like writing a lot of stuff, um, going into the studio and recording. But really, I mean, I have like two two main goals to have with my, you know, with my songs. And one is that, you know, every song I, I make and every song that's produced for me, um, you know, when I listen to it, I want it, you know, uh, every song, 
I just feel like it has to sound different. You know, it has to have that sound that, as opposed to those millions of songs that people hear and they're like, okay, I've heard this before by this artist, this artist, this artist, same song. Um, I wanted to have a different vibe and to be something a little bit different. And at the same time, you know, my other goal with it is that I want my lyrics, which is something that, you know, I really, really value, to be things that people can relate to. Mm. You know, and they don't necessarily, you know, they always are going to be meaningful, um, you know, but they could just be something that, you know, I'm feeling at the moment or, you know, a relationship that I'm in that I feel like what I have to say about it might be something that someone else is feeling and something that someone else can listen to and they can really relate to. Um, and so I want people to be able to listen to my music and think that that's, you know, something that they're also going through. Wow, that's great and very mature for somebody who's still a total of uh, 15 or 16. Uh, 15. Yeah. Almost 16. <laughs> almost 16. Oh, by the way, when do you get to start driving? Yeah, 16. I have my permit. <laughs> doesn't really do much because, you know, when, when do you really need to go places with your parents? Right. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> no, don't worry. They're not listening. They didn't hear that at all. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not at all. Um, yeah, but by March, I'll, I'll be able to drive by myself. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. So right after the Morasha concert, and of course, I would be remiss as a Morasha parent alum and of course, just major fan, <laughs> if I did not, and just, you know, making sure that I could work Morasha into the conversation, um, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the Morasha concert taking place on February 22nd here in New York at Purchase yeah. that is featuring you, A.B. Rotenberg, Baruch Levine, Eitan Katz, and Benny Friedman. How does it feel to be part of that lineup? That's crazy. It really is. It's also, I mean, growing up and over the past couple of years, you know, those are artists that, um, you know, I'm always listening to. You know, I'll, I'll have, you know, their music playing my house. My siblings are listening to it. Um, so that's going to be, yeah, that's wild that, you know, I'm playing that kind of, that kind of dinner um, with those artists. It should be a lot of fun. I'm excited. Yeah, no, I we're all excited. And actually, a bunch of us were, um, more, a bunch of Morasha alum we're emailing back and forth this morning about our favorite Morasha songs, either from Sharia or Color War or whatever, during the 80s and the 90s. I, I will not say that I know songs from before then. I will just leave it at those two decades. But um, but it's very exciting, and I'm I'm excited also that you're representing the um, the younger divisions, shall we say. I mean, I'm looking at the lineup that you're with, and you definitely bring a different voice and a different perspective amongst, yeah, for sure. amongst heavy hitters, like in this lineup. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, being that, first of all, I'm a lot younger, and, you know, I'm singing more of a secular type of music. Um, hopefully I'll be able to bring something a little bit different, um, but at the same time... Um, you know, I'm 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 super excited to be able to hear, you know, what they're going to do. Well, I can't wait to hear it. It's going to be very exciting. But before that, those of you who are going to be in South Florida for Yeshiva Break, or for those of you who actually already live in Florida, January 18th, you can catch Edon at Revolution Live. You can buy tickets on EdonMusic.com. The, the show, again, starts at 8.30. Doors open at 8. Tickets in advance are $25. Tickets at the door are 30 And as you would expect... All ages are welcome. It is a night not to miss. It is Edon's debut concert in South Florida, and he will, as we just heard, be de- debuting two new singles that night. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to it. Edon, as always, thanks for coming on the show. I look forward to speaking to you soon and again, and hopefully having you on again before the Morosha concert. For sure. Thank you so much. Take care. Stay warm. You too. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Take care. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network.
And we are like, okay, we, Avram, we are right over there. We have, we have a call that is dropped. Actually, we're just going to wait until they call back. Adina Mark and Zahava Englard are from A to Z events, and they should be on the line any second. I think we have them. Avram, we're good? Excellent. We're just going to put them through. Adina Mark and Zahava Englard are two women who had one dream living in Israel. Zahava is a writer and a published author and mother of four. Adina is a mother of six who lost her own mother in a terrorist attack. And together they formed a company called A to Z Events. And we have them on the line right now. Are you guys there? Yes. Hi. Who this do, is Zahava. Hello. Hi, how are you? And there's yeah. Adina. Zahava and Adina. Adina Mark and Zahava Englard. You guys are both in Renana? No, no, we're in Efrat. Oh, you're in Efrat. Sorry, I knew that. That was my mistake. That was my mistake. No problem. That's quite all right. So all I know is that no matter what the weather we're having here, you're not having it there. <laughs> uh, luckily for us, no. <laughs> well, we, we went through a little blizzard, but it's uh, well over now. Thank God. Yeah, thank God for that is right. So A to Z events. Who's going to tell me how this started and whose brainchild it was? Okay, um, what happened was I, uh, I had been in the events business a couple of years ago. And, um, Adina, Adina, there's, Adina, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like reverb, there's a lot of feedback on your, on your line. Are you, um, are you on a cell phone? I am. Okay, alright, you, you wanna do that, Arami? Okay, you know what, Zahav, um, Adina, do me a favor, if you could hang up and call back, I'll, no? All right, just uh, do, what you were, to, do what you were going to do before. Back. Do what you were going to do before where you just had the two of you on the speakerphone instead of two phones. Then there won't be the feedback, okay? Okay. Cool. okay. That's what we'll do. Okay. All right. Okay, we're both on one phone now. Excellent. So, uh, I'm going to have to you. <laughs> okay, Zahava, you there? Yes. Okay, yes. so Zahava, you can tell me how this all started. Okay, well, um, Adina was beginning to say that she was in the events business for a couple of years, and uh, I was doing small type of events uh, with One Israel Fund for a number of years. I've always been involved with them since they opened their doors, and uh, it was um, about uh, half a year ago that Adina approached me and asked uh, if uh, I would be interested in doing something together with her and working together. We both uh, are pretty much on the same wavelength, and we feel very passionately about Israel. And we both wanted to do something that, of course, not only would help provide for our families, but would also be more meaningful uh, for Israel and for the Jewish people. So we decided to do uh, an events uh, business in Israel and uh, just make it more meaningful for people outside of the country uh, to let them know that they can reconnect with Israel for any type of occasion and um, let them feel that they really are part of this country. They can expect the quality here that they can get wherever they live. And uh, we just wanted them to feel that connection, to feel at home here in Israel and let them know that we'd be holding their hands from the beginning to the end for any type of celebration that they would like to hold here. So your event planning or your event business differs from others in that it's not just about the event, but it's also connecting to the land. Absolutely. That was really the primary reason why we chose this type of 
this type of venue. And I'm going to put Adina on, and um, she'll explain also. Yeah, I was going to say that very often um, the uh, the idea that people have is that they can bring their family here for maybe just going to the Kotel for a small bar mitzvah celebration mm-hmm. or or just for the trip of, of, of touring and seeing the country. But the big party and the big celebration and the exciting and uh, fancy um, celebration needs to be uh, stateside, meaning whether you live in Muncie or Five Towns or Teaneck. Um, but what I wanted to, what I see and what, what Zahav and I um, want to bring, uh, bring forth is that we can make fabulous, fantastic, beautiful, top-level events, and there's meaning to it. You're in Jerusalem, you're in Haifa, you're in Hebron, you're in Caesarea, uh, you're in spot. We do amazing events in all all over the country, and we we bring it to a whole new level. And that's something that we felt was missing. So, Adina, I, I know in part of your bio as well, um, it does mention that you lost your own mother in a terrorist attack. Does she serve as an inspiration for you when you are planning somebody's event and connecting them to the land? Yeah, of course she is. She she was a fervent Zionist and had every um, her heart and 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 her soul was filled with only love and respect for this country. And she only wanted people to realize that it was the place to be, the place to come, that you could have a beautiful home here and a beautiful life here. And she spent most of her time trying to convince people, why are you going to Puerto Rico for your winter vacation, and why are you going to California, and why are you going anywhere? You should go to Israel. Right. And she she really. Um, lived that that was her her how she lived her life and how she believed so i can't help but try and you know continue that that um feeling and that belief that everyone should just know that there's a home here it's our home no matter what your level of religious observance is because we have people from all all levels of uh, religious observance who who believe that um who feel a connection and they want to um celebrate whatever it is whether it's an anniversary wedding bar mitzvah birthday or some momentous occasion um they feel connected to here so we just want to um, encourage people to do that and to see that, um, that that we can help them make it happen. It's not easy to do it on your own when you're living uh, um, uh, overseas, and it's not easy to know what's the first step, where who to call and where to go and what to do, but that's what we do for you. We make it easy for you, and we make it beautiful for you, and, and it's meaningful. So what can be better? Adina Mark and Zahava Englard are from A to Z events out of Efrat, not like Renano, which I had mentioned beforehand, <laughs> and accidentally. Two women, one dream, all about Israel. What... Um, what market did you see was needing your kind of 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 niche, your kind of specialization that you were that you then said, you know what, this is something we have to tap into. Okay, well, uh, there are actually a, a couple of markets. Uh, first of all, there are a lot of new immigrants in Israel um, who want to celebrate various uh, types of occasions. And since they are new, they really don't know how to navigate the system. And Adina and I have been living here uh, for many years. And you do have to have some type of savviness <laughs> to right. know who to contact, to know who to deal with. And we realize that we can be the go-to people for many of these new immigrants. And they also have a lot of family outside of Israel uh, that they want to bring in. And we knew that we would be able to help them with all the details. And not only that, uh, a lot of people are uh, really um, not privy to all the information of how to go about getting married in Israel. It seems very complicated. 
um, in terms of dealing with the Rabbanut, and yeah. we help them with those details as well. So whatever, when we say A to Z, it's not only for Adina and Zahava, it truly right. is from A to Z. We will help with all the details, whether it's uh, getting an appointment with the Rabbanut, uh, knowing exactly what type of paperwork you need, uh, wedding gown, uh, invitations, down to the napkins. Um, so uh, that type of market, you know, we, we wanted to target. What's the craziest? And, uh, what's, of sorry, course, sorry to inter- uh, uh, the Jewish community in the United States, um, as well in Europe, because just like the new immigrants here, they don't know who to contact, right. and it's very hard to plan a celebration in a country that's several thousand miles away. Right. What, um, kind of, what, what was the craziest? So, uh, I was going to say, in addition... Um, I think that uh, the majority of your listenership are, are more of the modern Orthodox um, community, but there are, and those people generally have a sister-in-law or an aunt or a friend or a brother or I don't know who that, that lives in Israel and can help them. Or they come here once or twice a year and they're familiar with, you know, certain things. But there's a whole other um, community that, you know, they come for a once-in-a-lifetime trip. They don't have family or right. friends here. They don't speak the language, but they feel a connection and they want to have a celebration here. And they, they need someone to... Uh, to make that, to make the the call for them, to make the step for them, to direct them, and to hold their hand, so to speak, you're through, basically, through, through the entire process. You're, basi- you're basically, and they are very, very grateful and, and happy to, to when they find us, and uh, and we and we're happy when they find us as well. You're basically providing their birthright trip. Tell me, um, what yeah. with uh, with only a couple of minutes left. Tell me what the craziest or most hard the hardest uh, trip in order to coordinate that was uh, in need of coordination was. What was the craziest kind of trip or event that you needed to set up? Um, okay, well, it's not, like, difficult, but, you know, it's a lot of logistics and coordination when the bride and groom live in Israel, um, the bride's parents live in the States, and the groom's parents are divorced. One lives in the North and one lives in Jerusalem. So she, they're trying to make everybody happy, <laughs> and they, they need to get, um, like, a rabbinut official wedding, you know, religious marriage with a, with a rabbi, but they also want a more um, secular type of wedding celebration. So we're doing some of the things, uh, some part of it in Jerusalem, another part in the north, they need accommodations, they want a day trip, which has to kind of uh, interest all the different people and all the different backgrounds of where everyone's come from. So it's not difficult. It's a challenge that Zahava and I love, but it's a lot of logistics, and it's um, learning to make everyone happy and feel special, but most especially the bride and groom. And Zahava and I are both uh, moms, and uh, we, have the, we, we have the know-how and the maturity and the understanding of how to, how to kind of make everybody feel that they're special and they're getting what they want and, and doing it right, doing it right for them. It almost sounds like an episode of a Jewish modern family. Anyway, Adina Mark, yeah. Adina Mark and Zahava Engler from A to Z Events in Efrat. How can people reach you? They can reach us at um, a to z eventsisraelcom We're also on Facebook, a to z eventsisraelcom um, Can I give you a phone number? Absolutely. Okay. We have a local number. We have two local numbers, but I'll give you mine because I know it by heart. Um, it reaches us here in Israel. It's 516-232-8894. That's 516-232-8894. Adina Marks, Zahava Englard, thank you so much for joining me. Call, call a vote to you guys for starting this mm-hmm. business. And much hatzlacha to both of you.
Thank you. Hope to see you here soon. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Miriam. My pleasure. You never show. know. You never know. Anyway, you've been listening to That's Life here on the Nahum Siegel Network. I'm Miriam Awalik. Thank you for making us part of your day. We have a crazy lineup. There's a lot of stuff to go through. So let's go through what we got for the rest of the day, what you can expect and what you can look forward to, and a whole bunch of updates about tomorrow morning with Naomi Nachman. So right after this show, starting in about, I don't know, eight, nine minutes, is the live lunch with Nachman Siegel in its 11 to 1 time slot. Starts with brunch, ends with lunch, followed by an all-new stunt show hosted by Daniel Gordon. Daniel is joined by Senior Vice President at Yeshiva University and Chief of Staff by Josh Joseph. They will be taking your questions. Daniel is taking your questions live on the air. You can email them to daniel at nachumsegel.com or via Twitter. You can tweet them to Rabbi Joseph at joshjoseph00. I highly recommend you listen to the program. It is it is centered and focused on mentorship. It is National Mentorship. I can get that one out. National Mentorship Month. And they will be focusing their conversation on that. But make sure to tweet your your questions to at Josh, at what is wrong with me at Rami's like I got no idea at Josh Joseph zero zero or Daniel at NahumSiegel.com. And then starting at two p.m. it is Throwback Thursday with an encore of JMAM from years past by the book an encore of that as well hosted by Nahum. And then Michael Fragan with Spin Class. You got to hear about Bridgegate. They're making a lot of bridge comments. I, this is I'm, I'm just so happy that. Thank God I have no gates associated with me, and that should continue for many, many, many years to come. Charlie Burnhout, 7 p.m., wrapping up the lineup. Tune in all day long. You can join Nachum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9. That's the host, Jam and the AM, live here on the stream, NachumSiegel.com, jamandtheam.org. Don't miss the weekly update, Nachum and Malcolm. Together, as always, starting probably around 7.40. You don't want to miss that. And, of course, Naomi Nachman, table for two. It was rescheduled from last week because of the weather. But now we hear that the weather this weekend is going to be glorious. By the way, the weather change in New York from yesterday to today is already like a schwitz here. And I'm being sarcastic because it's in the 30s, but it's definitely not 4. It is not 4 degrees. We're looking forward to tomorrow morning. We thank our friends at Gourmet Glot. We thank our friends at Abels and Hyman and Hode Golan. They are co-sponsoring the event as well. 9 a.m. from Gourmet Glot in Cedarhurst. It is supersized. It will go till 10.30, and it will be video streamed as well, so you can watch and listen at NahumSiegel.com. And uh, I know ZK is looking forward to it because he always likes to see me bright and early in the morning. An updated 2014 schedule is on our website at NahumSiegel.com. My thanks to Avrami. For joining me here today, it was definitely a complicated engineering show, but a little bit. But you dealt with the stress very, yeah, little Charlie thing. There we go. Dealt with the stress very, very well. I leave you today with a track from the Neshama Orchestra's Jaywalking CD in honor of National Lose Weight and Feel Great Week. It's Kolhan Shema with Yehuda Glanz, the fifth track off the CD. Get out there, folks, and get moving. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys.